Welcome to Hair Metal Memories. We are your hosts. I am Brian. And I'm Aaron. Hope you guys are doing good out there. We're still running through pandemic times, all that stuff, uh, but we're still trying to broadcast away and keep doing stuff. Uh, we're back to our regular format today. We picked out an album. That's right, and we got to give you something to listen to while you're sitting around, you know? I mean, that's right. You probably listen, <laughs> like, if you're like me, you've already listened to all the Gilbert Gottfried episodes. You need something else. <laughs> <laughs> we do we do appreciate you guys listening. Uh, if you ever want to reach out and uh, give us suggestions, feedback, any of that stuff, um, just give us a shout. Our email address is hairmetalmemoriesiowa at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page for Hair Metal Memories. Feel free to look us up and reach out. Um, we've had some people that have reached out and have been guests. If you're interested in that, let us know. Let, let us know what album you'd like to uh, talk about, and we'll, we'll go from there. Um, today, we're talking about Skid Row's second album, Slave to the Grind. I'm excited about this one. I'm this excited. was one of the first ones on my list when we first started talking about doing the show. So. Same. This is right <laughs> up there. This one, uh, the extreme three sides to every story and Slave to the Grind are were two of my, right when we talked about doing this podcast, we're like right at the top of the list. So, so. I think between those two and Badlands, we've covered all oh, the things right. that kind of got us spurred into doing this. <laughs> Very true. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, sigh of relief. Yeah. <laughs> we got to them. <laughs> of course, we also made room because, you know, some people, sometimes we get a message from somebody and say, hey, this album's really awesome. Would you talk about it? And said, yeah. you know what? Sure, of course. We'll bump yeah. that one up to the top of the list. So, yeah. but uh, yeah, so we're finally closing out our little original trilogy of, <laughs> of, uh, of, uh, favorite ones i guess yeah. you would say and we're, we're we're keeping things pretty fluid over here in hair metal memories land um and and i think since this is the second album um i kind of like i don't want to do as much background stuff on the band itself because i kind of want to wait until we do the debut album because i also want to do that that's true that's a good that's a fair point i'm yeah yeah, yeah i mostly just want to cover like the album stuff we'll, we'll get to the band at a later date and more of the in-depth stuff that we end up like doing sometimes but uh um this this one's gonna be just pure album stuff so let's let's start out with our usual hair metal smell test. Is this a hair metal album? I mean, for all intents and purposes, yeah. I mean, yeah. even if it kind of has its place sort of separate from a lot of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely like a lot a lot harder. Some of the songs are a lot sludgier than you usually get within the genre. But yeah. 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 I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah. I. When, before I, I listened to it again, before uh, kind of like studying up for this, um, my thoughts were that like, man, this I remember this. It came out. It was just like they went heavy. Was like my 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 remembrance of it and all of that. Um, and upon listening to it again, I realize now it's not. It, there's heavy moments on it for sure, but it's not quite the departure that I remembered it being. It it, it really is kind of like a. It's pretty close. Like I'd say half of the songs maybe are about the same sort of feel as their debut album and then they threw in some heavy songs too so in my memory it was like it was like all heavy and i remember like the whole album just being so rocking and heavy that it was like you know which which is you know in a good way but right you know but but i think uh i think at least half of this does constitute the same hair metal mode as as their debut right i mean it's it's, it's moving in a direction but you know right uh, it's it's still like a, a what we call the hair band or sure you know yeah. okay yeah they didn't abandon being Skid Row entirely but they did like actually kind of move forward a little bit I mean right you don't always get a whole lot of movement within a band when they find their sound in this genre I mean that's fine you know whatever do what works for you but right. these guys actually kind of you know change a little yeah. bit they flexed mm-hmm. they flexed a they bit. <laughs> Okay, Slave to the Grind is the second Skid Row album. It came out in 1991 after their very stellar debut album, which we're going to get to at some point. Um, It's heavier, which was sort of a big deal at the time um, and sort of a departure because hair metal was not going in a heavier direction. Not generally. No. So this is is pretty bold, you know. I mean, all things considered, I guess. Um, It's... Slave to the Grind is the first heavy metal album to chart at number one on the Billboard 200, so it has that little claim to fame. So yeah, I mean, you know, they call it uh, they call it uh, heavy metal in the world of Billboard. So right, I mean, yeah, but be that you know whether you agree or not, they said it as yeah. much. So it's 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 a uh, it's in books. <laughs> that reminds me of when uh, Jethro Tull won the Grammy for heavy metal. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit like that. But... <laughs> Yeah. No, they got yeah. their finger on the pulse of the world, the Grammys they do. <laughs> Grains of salt, yeah. Uh, Slave to the Grind went double platinum, 
and produced five singles. So this this was a pretty good album. I mean, and it's it, crazy because I was a loyal MTV watcher around the time, and I was reading the list of like the ones that they said had videos, and I don't remember the video for two of those. I think because yeah. they said that each one of those singles had a video too, and I do not remember them. I don't remember them. And either. I was a pretty loyal watcher of MTV at that point in time. I was a very yeah. impressionable young one. Yeah, I think I think MTV is already starting to move away from some of the hair metal stuff and not as much rotation. So by the time they got some of the later singles, well, and this is gonna... this falls in that window where we said June of '91. So there's yeah. just precious little time that right. uh, <laughs> this sound has left being uh, being shown on MTV with much regularity. You know, so very true. Like literal <laughs> months to go before they are like whoop, just wiped away. <laughs> Yeah, the after this came out, the band toured the album by opening for Guns N' Roses on the Use Your Illusion tour in 1991. I have to imagine that must have been nuts. Uh, yes, <laughs> absolutely nuts. I, I mean, G and R and Skid Row partying backstage—that had. I mean, there had to be some. There's got to be some stories there. <laughs> I know for a while after this, I don't know if it was this specific tour now because my memory is not super sharp on it, but uh. Uh, uh, Sebastian and 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 Axel didn't talk for a very long time after this, mm-hmm. and then apparently they they patched it up because like Sebastian does some backing vocals on Chinese Democracy, yeah, and uh, Axel does some backing vocals on on Sebastian's album from that time, so they end up like hanging out mm-hmm. once again. I mean, when I saw Guns N' Roses, Sebastian Bach opened for him, yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm 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 glad they patched it up. They're they're both two powerhouse singers and like correct. You know. <laughs> I noticed that um, the producer of this album is making his third appearance on our show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> After our yep. very first episode under lock and key, and then yeah. um, the second episode or the third episode? Now I'm not remembering my numbering, but he also did yeah. Pride. That's right. He did Pride. Yeah. But yes. Michael Wagner. Yeah. And he was mentioned on the Ballads episode, too. Ah, see? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Michael Wagner's getting around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's, uh, nah, I got nothing more to say about that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, after they got done doing the opening slot for GNR, um, they did a headlining tour and this time they chose Pantera and Soundgarden for, as their openers, which what is a wild mix, which would be a, that'd be a hell of a show. I mean, just especially Soundgarden hearing like Soundgarden back to back with Skid Row. That's got a. I don't know. That's something else. I mean, I, 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 I'd be in heaven. Oh, I would love that. That'd be wonderful. And it's a, yeah, it's just the thing that you know you look back at it now and you're like, wow. So, so somebody in management somewhere was like, yeah, we should totally do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And apparently, they originally asked Nirvana to open, but they declined because they they thought that Skid Row was too homophobic. Because of an infamous T-shirt incident yep, yep. In, involving Sebastian Bach, um, at, at one point Sebastian Bach wore an inflammatory T-shirt. Um, he claims that he someone just gave it to him. He didn't even notice what was on it, and he didn't really think about it. But he 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 felt bad about it and apologized for it afterwards. But it cost them having Nirvana like be openers for them, which would have been that would have been kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, that would have been a pretty yeah. big deal. But... Yeah. So it goes. Yeah. One of the things that kind of stood out to me is that uh, uh, when I was thinking about this, um, you know, because we've talked about Skid Row a couple times now, um, they're kind of a no-joke band. Uh, by 1996, they'd sold over 20 million albums. I mean, that's that's no slouch. There's, like, pop artists that have not sold 20 million oh, albums. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's that's two albums in EP and then The Subhuman Race, which I do not believe was a robust seller. No. <laughs> uh their foray into you know, grunge. Mo- yeah. <laughs> um, what's well, that? And that album's kind of weird because, like, I don't know. It, Bob Rock's like, a, you know, he was <laughs> definitely a successful producer and everything. But I remember them talking about how they felt much more comfortable with Michael Wagner and they yeah. had a way of doing things that they enjoyed and whatnot. And I know yeah. Eddie Trunk sticks up for that album a lot because I used to listen mm-hmm. to that dude a lot and he was always talking about Subhuman Race. He, he really liked it and thought it was really good. But. Yeah, they they apparently don't play any songs off of that album. No, that and, one's uh, pretty much been abandoned for some time. Yeah, yeah. I I if I've listened to it, I don't remember it. So I need to go back and I, you know at least give it a listen to it and see what I think about it. Oh, I it, haven't but, in years. I'll admit yeah. I don't really remember it that well. But I know yeah. and most of the people in the band don't speak very highly of it either. Right. Yeah. Apparently, it was just not a very <laughs> a very good time for anybody involved. Yeah. Uh, Slave to the Grind was recorded in two studios in Fort Lauderdale in Florida and Studio City, California. 
Um, and there's a, some, a couple weird stories about the title track, um, which is an awesome track. It's, oh, it's, yeah, killer it, song. It, 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 it kicks ass. Um, Michael Wagner originally said that, it, that they recorded and mixed that song in an hour. Um, and that they never remixed it, and that that was the version that was on the album. But then many years later, Sebastian Bach says that what the, what made the album was actually the demo version. Like they mm-hmm. they went into this, they did another take, and yeah. it just didn't quite. Yeah, they couldn't capture the, they couldn't get the intensity again, and so they kept the demo version. I mean, they did record the demo with Michael Wagner, so it's like right, which know, is crazy because yeah, that know. that sounds pretty pretty fucking finished for a demo, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, not that not that this album is like super produced or anything. It's still no. a fairly like you know lean and mean record. Yeah, but that's. I wish my demo sounded that good. No kidding. <laughs> right? No kidding. Damn. Michael Wagner, if you're listening, please come record our demos. <laughs> no, you're not doing anything right now. Nobody's doing anything right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hadn't I was not aware of that story though, and that made that song just that much more jaw dropping. I mean, I don't know. Um the album cover art is by David Bierks, who is Sebastian Bach's father. Because Sebastian Bach isn't his actual last name, it's Bierks. So I thought that was something else I didn't know. He got his dad to do that strange you know, cover it's, art. <laughs> it's one of those things I remember MTV talking about at the time that it came out, and I, it just kind of slipped out of my head. Once again, I watched a lot of MTV. I mean, yeah. when, when this album came out, I was of, of 11 years old, and it was like this or cartoons, and by this time, I really just wanted to watch music videos. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember them. I remember it being kind of a thing, because, you know, and you'd, you'd still get, like, where you had specials with artists, so they'd sit down and talk to somebody for, like, you know, 20 minutes or something like that, and... I'm pretty sure that they sat and talked to MTV about about it when this came out. Yeah, and uh, and my only other note about this is that uh, the band is apparently planning a 30th anniversary tour of this album in 2021, uh, which I was really pleased to hear uh, with the current incarnation of the band. They say they have the dates booked already and everything, and that they're fully intending on doing it with the current configuration. Um, we'll we'll cover some of the bad blood and members of the band and stuff like that when we yeah. when we do the full band episode mm-hmm. um on the debut album but like uh um they would be going out and do, playing these songs with the current incarnation who who Aaron and I got a chance yeah, to see Yeah, we saw them open for Queensryche in 2014, yeah. 2015. Yeah, just one the, of those years back there. Yeah, and the current incarnation I, I went into it thinking we were getting like the county fair version of Skid Row or something and like that. And they were good. They I don't know, man. They put ass. on a really good show. That singer there was, was no slouch either. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he uh, he was in Dragon Force, and that's not like a yeah. slouchy band either. So like, yeah, that, that's pretty impressive. I know they could pull off the whole album, and you know, and if they if they decide that they're going to go out on tour and 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 they they you know, assuming the pandemic is not killing shows next year and all that stuff, if they tour it and it comes anywhere near me, I'm I'm totally down to go yep, see that. I'm going to see it. Yeah. Um. What's what's your what's your memories of, of this album when it came out? Oh yeah, I got it right like right when it came out. I thought it was awesome nice. right away. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I ever, at the time that I had the the thought of being like, wow, this is kind of cool and kind of different than the other stuff. I like, I don't know, not probably yeah. not. I really doubt that I had that sort of a uh, mm-hmm. thought about it. I mean, I was big into like all the usual stuff. Like, you know, I was a big Motley Crue fan, big Guns N' Roses fan, all the stuff of this genre. I was, I was and. Uh, this probably was one of the ones I liked the most out of everything back then. Mm-hmm. Like if I wasn't like freaking out on like a Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood or, or too fast for love, this would have been probably one of the ones I would have reached to outside of appetite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, another one of those ones that I sat down cause I had this on cassette tape. So I still think of it as side one and side two, even though, I mean, right, then yeah. I had a couple copies <laughs> on CD and everything, but, uh, I mean, I, I unfolded the whole booklet and sat around and read along to the lyrics of this whole thing, read the notes over and over and all that stuff. And so, yeah, I know this one a lot better than like a lot of the ones we've talked about, except saving maybe for like Guns N' Roses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about you? Uh, this one was, uh, I was on the tail end of my love of hair metal. I thought I was done with it, honestly. And then uh, um, I was at a bar in Ankeny here in Iowa uh, with some friends and the, and the video for monkey business came on. Um, and Good I, video. and I was, I was like watching, Oh, skid row. Ha ha ha. You know, I used to like them and stuff. And then, the, and then I started watching, I was like, well, that's a trippy looking video. And, uh, and then the song busted in and I was, and it, it honestly blew me away. And I was sort of like, wait a minute, maybe I'm not over hair metal. 
<laughs> and I and so I went out and I bought the tape and I was uh, I was hooked like you know top to finish I was I just thought this is this is amazing so I mean you have to admit for the state of like what uh, what this particular genre was by ninety one they did yeah. better than a lot of people could have hoped to do at that time you know yeah they they it was a good move for them I think to muscle up because like uh, hair metal was starting to kind of go away but like heavy metal was starting to come more to the forefront I mean that's when I started hearing a lot more about Metallica and by and 91 like you know we were starting to get like uh, some of the 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 tricksters and the Nelsons and right exactly and, uh, <laughs> things like that I mean no slur on them they, those guys yeah. still made it popular or whatever so that's yeah they chose better than I did yeah but, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time they uh, you know I was outside of like Guns N' Roses getting more ambitious you can't exactly say they necessarily got heavier but they got more ambitious yeah uh, the crew kind of started to get a little bit heavier at this time because uh, just a couple months after this you get Decade of Decadence that had some new tracks on it that were a little bit more muscular than than the Dr. Feelgood stuff, but I don't know. These guys definitely, of, of, of all of them, got the toughest at this point in time. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Um, so just general notes on the album. Uh, I, I just wrote that, like, this album is a rager for sure. And and as we mentioned before, it's touted as being heavier, but there's still ballads and there's still melodic tunes on and here. And it's odd because the ballads aren't like... Uh... That's for like love yeah, songs. They're, they're slow not. tunes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the you know they're not like power ballads the way we think of like you know to be with you or something like that yeah. or uh any you you guys know the list we talk about this stuff right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yeah going through this again and listening to it, uh, it it stuck out to me like how diverse of an album this actually is which made me love it. I, I kind of fell in love with it again because they do cover like, a lot of ground on it. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty crazy. It's like they hop in and out of there. There's still ballads on it, but they also like do punk and metal and like you know, um, there's like you know, there's some swinging stuff on this. It's a it's it's there's a bunch of stuff on this, and 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 they incorporated all of it and still made it sound just like Skid Row, and that's you know, hats off. I was imp- I was no, impressed. That's a, that's a that's a tough thing to do. You know, I mean, not everybody can. Uh, add that much to it that way and still have yeah. it, you know, as soon as you hear it, like, oh, that's definitely yeah. them. And they definitely are <laughs> stretching the boundaries of probably what hair metal, you know, is or should be or could be or any of that stuff. At least within the first uh, two tracks of the record. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's really saying, oh, yeah, well, here's what we can do as, as a hair rock band or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I was also impressed with how much uh, smarter the lyrics were too. Like they're, they're they leveled up. In I terms think of that's like the, the biggest lyrics. change between the second, first, and second album is like there's a noticeable lyrical shift. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They actually want to talk about shit now. Um, you know, in the first one, it's sort of like let's be a band and let's be famous and all that stuff. And this one, they're just like, wait, no, we got we got stuff to say. Um, but let's let's dive into the album. Let's do it. Okay, first first track, Monkey Business. It's the it's the first single. It was the biggest hit off of the album. Has a great video. Has a great video. <laughs> well, we're checking out. <laughs> um, it has. I think this song has super good lyrics. Like yes, the, it's very like poetic and just uh, like just the the word choices that he uses and stuff. I mean, it's it's pretty trippy lyrics, but there he's really. I mean, it, it's almost like poet level, which is like crazy for like a song like this. Especially, like, you know, if you just got done listening to the first record, which, you know, no slur necessarily on the lyrics on that one, but when yeah. you get to this, it's like, whoa, night and day, okay? Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're and they're almost like rap lyrics. I it mean, definitely has much more, like, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot more verbiage in there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he, he's ranting about things at a he, rapid he fire base. a lot in and, there. You know? uh, <laughs> well, even, like, from, like, the opening, it... It's it's kind of a chill opening to the song, you know, but it yeah. still has like kind of like a like a sinister sound to it. Yeah, you can tell it's going to be a kind of a raging tune even from that intro, you know. Yeah, and then when they kick in, it just they boom. They, yeah, full on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as far as I can tell, this song seems to be concerned with drugs. I mean, it, it seems like you know he's saying like I'm, I'm don't want to, I'm not cons- you know monkey business seems to be something about like the monkey on your back about like you know having a drug habit and about like how you know he doesn't think it's cool to have a drug habit i mean that's kind of what i get out of it i i might be wrong but like that was that's the impression we I would had. have to ask Rachel Bowl and should we ever be right. fortunate enough to talk to him right yeah i'm yeah. 90% sure he wrote the lyrics to that yeah Rachel Bowl if you're listening please call us that's right <laughs> Uh, and now track two, Slave to the Grind, the second single. 
What a fucking groove oh, this man, song it's so has. Bad. This is a this yeah, this is I love this song. In uh in Sebastian's uh autobiography, he talks about um trying to describe what he wanted to do for a song and he was like kind of like humming the rhythm of the groove that he wanted to establish and they were like, "Dude, that's a grind, man. That's a total grind that you're trying that you're coming up with there." And that's I guess what inspired the title of it. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Some wonderful vocal theatrics, you know. I mean, yeah, you can hit them notes. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is the heaviest song on the record. Oh, definitely. <laughs> At least and, as far uh, as like speed and aggression goes. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a powerful song too, and you know, and and it's empowering. You know, it's a I, I could listen to the song like over and over again because it just has like has enough stuff going on in it, and and the message to it, you know, is like you know. Life is not a rehearsal. It's like you know, you, you you know, you can't be king of the world if you're slave to the grind. So think about what you're doing. You know, think about what you ought to be doing. What do you want to be doing? All of that stuff. So, um, yeah, I used to drive really fast when I would listen to this song. <laughs> I can see that. Sort of the same thing, like when you put like some Motorhead and you decide I'm going to go for a drive. It's like, yeah, yeah you shouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next song is the threat. Um, this also has great lyrics. Um, the the end of sacrifice is a threat to society. I love that. I think that's just. Uh, I mean, you know, um, it's it's musically fairly similar to the material on their debut album. I thought, but it's kind of like. But the riff is still like a little yeah. bit chunkier. Yeah, it's it's amped up a bit, you know, and uh, and and I read this one as a tune about individuality and not conforming, you know, basically, and and. Um, Sebastian Bach's vocal performance on this song is just—I mean—he shreds so hard. Oh, big time! <laughs> Coming out of the second verse, especially, he's just like freaking out on it. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Very good tune. Very good tune. Yeah. Um, and then the fourth song, "Quicksand Jesus." Uh, th- this was one of your picks. Yes, you just... it was. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. It's just yeah. really good. Uh, I I like the dynamic of it, and I, uh. The bass gets in some cool little moves that aren't nothing yeah. like necessarily like particularly tricky or anything. They just sound really good in the context and whatever, uh, whatever yeah. little production they got for the bass tone in the song. I like that a lot. Mm. Yeah, me too. The bass does sound mm. really good, and the it's a very cool acoustic guitar part on it too, where it's not. I mean, he's not strumming. It's like sort, of, but it's not quite a riff either. It's just a circular sort of like guitar part. Um, it has like a power chorus to it. Like when they kick into the chorus, it's just like. Yeah, <laughs> that would be particularly fun. I like the solo in this song too. It's really good. It's yeah. I don't know. I think Scotty's very good at at, yeah. at, at the whole solo game. <laughs> yeah, and this song, I had a hard time understanding entirely what the lyrics were, but from what I can gather, it seems to be questioning religion, but it's not questioning the notion of faith, which I which. You know, this isn't exactly babes in bikinis or party territory. Like, not quite. You know, no, a little heavier um, than that. A little heavier than that. Like they're 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 really thinking about stuff here. Um, but yeah, great tune. And uh, this was one of Aaron's picks on our ballads episode last time. So uh, very very timely. <laughs> uh, the next tune is Psycho Love. Um, this song goes through a lot of different moods. It does. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, it has a heavy riff, and then it also gets really spacey and psychedelic a bit, and then it like rocks out before climbing up at the at the end and sort of exploding. Um, it modulates for a section, so they're kind of you know flexing musically there. Um, and I think, it, it, and you know, I'm guessing a lot about the meanings of these songs, but uh, I got sucked into the lyrics on this album quite a bit for some reason when I was going back through it. Um, but it seems to be about a junkie who kind of pulls you into her world and takes you down with her. Was kind of that was the interpretation I got out of it. It's kind of a theme that comes up in 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 this genre a lot. I think in yeah. some form or another. Yeah. Uh, it's one that I think this one probably the most of just about anything on like the the first side kind of harkens back to the first record. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, except for like the whole the whole break in the middle. That was some places that they don't really yeah. go at that first album at all. Um, but once again, I just think, think it's because they they broadened their compositional palette. You know, when they got to this record, and so you yeah. get some of that in this song, even though it kind of harkens back to the first one. It's got yeah. some some new shit added in, you know. That's right. <laughs> Throw in the new shit. That's right. <laughs> yeah, really love that song. Um, the next next one is Beggar's Day. On the censored version. On the, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, which is, is a it? fun sub okay. point because when I was a child and I went and got it, I got it at the Kmart. Yeah. Where, and, yeah, 
and I, I, I kept hearing about this song that I, that wasn't on my tape, and I'm like, what the hell is this? Because it wasn't uh-huh. on my tape, because the sixth song on the normal version is Get the Fuck Out. That's right. This one was the substitute. That- and uh, honestly, it's kind of weird, because I kind of think Beggar's Day is a better song. I do, too. Uh, <laughs> it, they did, um just this year, they reissued Slave to the Grind uh, on one of the record store days this year. And they put Beggar's Day as a bonus track on the fourth side. Oh, nice. So you get all the songs. And then the other bonus tracks are really badass, too. But, uh, mm. yeah, because, um, I once again, being a regular reader of Circus and Rip and all that, uh, after I listen to my tape and I'm reading the, the people writing in talking about Slave mm. to the Grind or the uh, whatever interview with so-and-so and them talking about that song, I'm like, well, why didn't I get that? What the right. hell? <laughs> so I actually, I, I, I bought this tape twice back in the day is the long and short of that okay. story. <laughs> <laughs> but as it yeah. is then, I've, I've listened to Beggar's Day significantly less than, than Get the Fuck Out at this point because of, yeah. then like the subsequent CD editions I bought were all the uh, the yeah. regular uncensored ones. But yeah. yeah, I'm not a fan of censorship by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think Beggar Day, Beggar's Day is probably better tuned. Mm-hmm. It uh, it swings really hard. It, like, it has a big swing to it, and then and then when it gets to the end, it just gallops away. You know, it's like it's it's pretty powerful. The and the verses kind of fall in between like rap and punk a little bit. Like it's not not quite rap, but it's not quite punk. But like it's some weird hybrid of them. Um, it has a really cool sort of grinding bridge, um, and and I and I have no idea what the song's about. There seems to be some sort of story about some kind of wedding massacre. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, a lot of the times yeah. I think if you would go to this person and say, "Hey, what's this song about?" They'd be like, "Well, I mean, I wrote the lyrics, but I don't know. I right, couldn't yeah. tell you." Yeah, it, it had a good rhyme, it and has, that's it, fine. It has <laughs> Susie with an Uzi. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. when you're using the term Susie at the end of the at the yeah. end of the line, it's it's you're limiting yeah. your. Your your choices, so Uzi's, yeah, that's good. Unless you were talking about like a beer koozie, but that just doesn't have the same impact. No. <laughs> yep. I wouldn't be sold on your message at that point. <laughs> She's keeping that beer cold. <laughs> okay, well, I guess maybe I'm a little sold on the point. <laughs> uh, and then and then back to the uncensored version is get the fuck out. Um, and and this song's just fun. Yeah, I think that's the whole point. It's, it's, and the thing is, I guess the for me, like the furor the or, around it kind of led it to feeling more like a novelty right. song. After that, you know, right. like if they hadn't made a big deal but right. out of it and just released it and just went on, it yeah, it would have been a fun moment. But yeah, but now it just it was, feels like a novelty to me. Yeah, but it, it does have a feeling of that. I do really like the line, uh, "You're standing too close. What the fuck's with you? You ain't my old lady, and you ain't a tattoo." I was like, that, that's, that's that's the the two closest things to him are <laughs> either his old lady or a tattoo. <laughs> yeah, um, and then musically, this kind of sounds like the first album, I think, but just way way snottier. Yes, and. Yeah, and this was the one they deleted, and it caused controversy, and they had to make multiple versions and shit. Yeah, it kind of has, like, that same, like, groove as, like, you know, something like Sweet Little Sister or Making a Mess or something like that off the first record. Yeah. Uh, After that, we have Living on a Chain Gang. Um, This song swings pretty hard, too. It's a... I mean, it's it's a good rocker, and it's mostly, like, a study of hypocrisy is the big takeaway for it for me. And I think it's... uh, it's one of the ones that where where they've definitely moved away from the sound of the first record because this yeah. one's like really is when we're going back to the ones that we think were, oh they were so heavy I think this is one of the heavier ones it, yeah it really ha- it's got some weight to it yeah there's a line in it a 13 year old boy robs a store so he can eat and they got him doing time while killers walk the streets it's like you know and that's just that's the first example of hypocrisy in it and then they go into um politics and religion later on too so this is again not typical hair metal fodder they were uh you know hair hair metal bands are supposed to be all fun and let's party and like you know let's let's talk about chicks and let's talk about you know getting ripped on a friday night and all that stuff um, i mean we all like getting ripped on friday night nobody's you know right, yeah. arguing that <laughs> right, right. But, you know uh, yeah they've moved on and they've sometimes we got we got some other shit we got to talk about you know <laughs> um Next up is Creep Show, and uh, one of the things I liked about this song is there's a there's a brief shout out 
to Sweet Little Sister. There's a little line in there about that's Sweet Little right, Sister. That's right, there is. And, which I thought was pretty cool. I, I was like, that's a nice little like callback to the album. I just like the baby get his shovel because I can't believe I dug you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah, all right. That's just witty. Uh, I mean, this one was the one song that made me wince a little bit, you know, as we revise history and all of that stuff and look back, there's some poor lyrical choices, probably, um, the whole psychos, dykes and transvestites are on the chopping block. That's probably a little, I mean, it's hard to tell whether it's like in character or something like that. I, I don't get the impression that Skid Row are like a, you know, a hateful band or any of that stuff, but like, uh. Um, most of this though seems to be, and again, I'm stretching here, like trying to figure out what they're talking about. It's, uh, the impression I get is that it's about an ex-girlfriend spilling her guts on TV or something like that. I mean, like, and he's mad at her, like, you know, why are you telling all my secrets on TV? And bleh, yeah, I'm mad. You know, maybe he was watching some local uh, cable access one night. One of his somebody right. was on there that was like an old acquaintance. Yeah, I don't know. That fits the story. I That's mean, just the best I can fill in in a headcanon like right now. Right. <laughs> uh, after that, we have In a Darkened Room. Um, this is a really cool tune. This is they an- played this one when we saw him. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And this is another ballad type of tune that wouldn't have been out of place on the first record, um, but it's definitely way more serious, and it's definitely not a love song. Um, yeah, honestly, even the ballads on this don't exactly feel like the ballad. Yeah. Well, I guess there was only the one ballad on the first one, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, well I remember I, you in 18 in Life. 18 Life's kind of a ballad. Kind of a ballad, <laughs> yeah. Um, and this one has a fairly epic guitar solo on the fade out. And this is, yeah. one, this is one I wanted to kind of like do a little focus on. And, and I was wondering if this was going to be the one you were going to pick. <laughs> I seriously wanted that as I was listening. Yeah. Let's play a little bit of this. Exactly. Yeah. See, that's that's why you pick it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice legato playing and all that. Uh, after that, we go into Riot Act. Um, this is another great rocker with some more modulation stuff in the middle, so they're kind of flexing again. And see, this is one of the ones that sounds like straight off the first album for yeah. me. Like, it, it, yeah, you could have almost had this one just right on the first album, and it would have just yeah, yeah, gone through. Yeah, it, it's pretty fun too. You can imagine like live, this would be like super. You know, like probably get people moving. Um, has a catchy chorus, has another pretty killer guitar solo on it. Um, some of the messaging on this kind of, I'm I'm trying to understand it a little bit. Like uh, it's uh, mostly what I get out of it is like he's. I feel like he's saying, "Quit lecturing me. I don't respect your education or position." <laughs> and at first, I that bothered me with like current you know political yeah. situations and stuff. But when I stopped and thought about it, I think it actually. I think they were really delving into a lot of punk rock at the time, and that is totally in in line with punky does. I mean, punk rock. They, this is true. They don't I mean, want people lecturing them and telling them what to do, and they don't have any respect for any authority because they're punks. So, um, I'm, yeah, I kind of went back and forth on that one a little bit. But the song is so good that I'm just sort of like I'm choosing not to go too deep on it. Well, and the re- <laughs> that that sort of uh, authority rejection was different back then too. Mm-hmm. It was a different climate, a different place, different Definitely. context. So it's it's weird, yeah, to hear it now. But it kind of was. It just right. it it meant something different back. Yep. Then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we're up to Mud Kicker. Um, this one's like another grinder. Um, I like this one a lot too. It's yeah. one of my favorite songs on the album. Yeah, and this one also has like uh, it's it's again about hypocrisy and uh, and it has the youth gone wild sort of theme that like you know um, which I get to your point would be off of the first album. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like a lot of anger and rebelliousness and stuff. Um, yeah. So it doesn't musically necessarily sound like the first album, but it's something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. The feel of it kind of yeah. does. Yeah, definitely. I agree. 
and then we wind up everything with wasted time. Um, and this is a really interesting song. This doesn't sound like anything else they. No, have done. it doesn't, and it it does a it, lots of melody in it. Lots of melody, yeah. Really cool choices moving yeah. from like segment to segment where they where the melody goes and everything. I, I yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a spacey ballad, and they're they're really good at spacey ballads. They I sure think. are. <laughs> um, it has sort of a classical feeling to it too. There's like you know the way that like they punctuate the the riffs and stuff like that. Um, it it just made me feel like part it had some classical influence in there in some ways. Um, and I can't quite tell. This is another one where the lyrics are a little more poetic, uh, you know, and so I can't entirely understand what's going on with it. But I I feel like it's a song about regret. Or about not paying attention to what's important, or about mortality, maybe. Um, you know, again, this is like pretty heavy stuff for hair metal. I, you know, but like, um, there's a line in it that I really liked where he says, "Where's my friend? I used to know. He's all alone. He's buried deep within a carcass, searching for a soul." That's like, you know, that's not titties and beer. That's not <laughs> at all. That's a that's that's pretty heavy stuff. It wasn't stuff. even on the surface just like saying that like he was busy listening to some carcass cuz I do that a lot right. too. So I mean, I get it. <laughs> I would understand what he meant, but I don't think that that's what's at play here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that and, and it's that's a really good ender for the album too. Uh, I that thought is, See, that's the other thing about the album is it's paced very well. Just like all yeah. the placement of the songs is is about as perfect as one could ask for. Like I thought I so wouldn't too. Rearrange anything on here, you know? Yeah. I had I- I've had albums in my head where I was like, you know, you move this song here, you move this song here. Boy, you've made yeah. a perfect running order. But yeah, they really nailed it here. I think. I think so too. It definitely flows among. And this is again one of our favorites. So uh, we're we're really happy to be talking about this record. And uh, if you haven't given it a spin in a while. Please do. And one of the bonus tracks that's available now, if you can go back and find one of the old Japanese CDs, which, uh, well, you're going to spend a lot of money, or uh, <laughs> one of the new LPs, there's some really badass bonus tracks. Uh, they did a cover of Holidays in the Sun that's uh, that's uh, actually a studio take. I don't know if it pops up anywhere else because it's not on the Beside Ourselves EP. Um, but then they do a, a, a live version of uh, Judas Priest delivering the goods with uh, Rob Halford. So, Oh, man. Yeah, that's just <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Yeah, Sebastian Bach and Rob Halford singing together, that's got to be good. <laughs> yes, yes it is. Well, I mean, he sings with them on the... the e- there was an EP that came out the following year after this called Beside Ourselves, and he sings on that, too. Okay. Um, which also And it also has a cover of them doing psychotherapy and uh, featuring nice. uh, another former person we've talked about on this podcast, uh, 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 Tammy Down, doing guest vocals oh, on no psychotherapy shit. with them. It's way good. I have not checked out that that EP collection. So it I... was it was it came out for Rocktober, one of the last couple okay. of years. So Rhino put it out. And okay, it's you can still score them on Discogs for like I don't know nothing. Wow, I think mine was twelve bucks. I definitely want to check that out. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have any other notes for the album. Or... No, that you should listen to it if you haven't. Yeah. If you're one of the people who, for some reason, is listening to this and doesn't know this album, I guess there's like maybe one person I can think of, but right. <laughs> uh, the rest of you probably already know it. So just go into your collection and pull it out. <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yep, dust it off. Okay, we're going to take a short break here and we're going to be right back with our very special guest. And we're back. Today we have a special guest today. This is a repeat guest. I don't think we've had many of those, but this is our good friend, Jordan Bluejack Voigt. How's it going, Jordan? Hey, how's it going? And uh, Jordan was on before. He was on our Extreme 3 episode. Yep. Uh, he was our guest for that and was uh, and was one of our call-in guests when we had our call-in show. That's right. Oh, yeah. 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 So you've actually been on probably more than anybody else that I can remember. Yeah. You're our Tony Randall. <laughs> <laughs> also a first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How you doing today? I'm doing great. I uh been pretty lazy today, but I revisited Slave to the Grind, so I'm in a pretty good mood. Nice, nice. What did you think? Let's 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 get down to it, man. I gotta admit, for a long time it was like a vessel for um 
pretty much like three songs. Mm -hmm. I, uh, in the last like five years, I revisited this just like in the singles, and mostly it boils down to "In a Darkened Room" for me. If I'm oh not, yeah, if I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, okay. I think it's like the most underrated ballad. It is. It's a great song. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how else to gush more about that song, but I could forever. Like, uh, yeah. I I also think as awesome as as I love it. Like, uh, as much as I love it, um, it feels so out of place. Like, it, like right after what is it? The uh, creep show, and uh -huh. then right before I can't remember what follows it. Mud kicker. Mud kicker, and they're both like big balls, like bust the wall down <laughs> party, like rock song kind of vibe, and then like. You have this really serious, not silly, right. like, like serious tone ballad in between, and I, I know that's how it usually goes. But since I don't find that ballad as cheesy as most of ballads, yeah, that, it's that not are, cheesy at all. Yeah, it's. I'm like, what? Why is this right in the middle of all this like right. rage and silliness and like big? I don't know. It's, it's yeah. great though. Yeah, they definitely get really serious on Slave to the Grind. There's a lot of songs that are like, you know, serious topics and things like that. They yeah. Were, they were kind of over the over the party phase, I think. Yeah. I also think it, the whole album sounds a lot more like extreme than a usual Skid Row album would. Like mm -hmm. they're uh the guitarists are bouncier. Yeah. And they're kind of funkier and they do those little half step climbs and stuff. A lot of like you know, tricks I kind of pick up on, I think. Yeah. But no kid, no. But That's I cool. Know. Well called, man. I'm, I gotta look quick because there's a couple of marks about it. Like, um, oh, Psycho Love is definitely one. Yeah. You know, that has that sweet bass line in it. Yeah. And uh, Riot Act, <laughs> yeah. definitely like the, the solo too. Like, mm -hmm. it gets really choppy and, and quick, and it sounds like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I think there's a lot of, like, snake or you know he yeah. he always it's not like he's a slow boring guitarist no <laughs> he's not the lead player oh really it's scotty hill who plays those leads i didn't know that yeah dude oh shoot yeah i, I don't know anything about most of what that. i remember about that if the you go back and watch the videos he's the one who's like playing all the solos well we went and saw him too uh, right, yeah, and i was yeah. watching for that the whole time i like because i remember yeah. i remember like when i was a kid going is it really scotty hill playing all the solos and when we saw him live dude yeah it's him huh. yeah. well then Never. i'm not giving him enough credit yeah, <laughs> I don't think anybody does. You don't hear a lot about the dude. He's a really good lead yeah. player. Yeah. Well, Dave the Snake Sabo is like just a better rock name. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a little catchier. <laughs> so, so people think, oh, he must be the lead player. Yeah. He's got the name. <laughs> did he? Did he have more in hand to do with the writing or something? Or why does he well, have you look, kind of more? If you look through the writing credits on on those first two Skid Row albums, it's mostly Rachel Bolin and Sabo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bach has like on the first album. Bach has like one written contribution on "Slave to the Grind." I think he has three. There mm -hmm. has been some. He's said that he deserves more yeah. compositional credit for like at least I don't know like shaping the vocal melodies. Okay. And I mean, I get where he's coming from because I mean, like you know, I mean, right? The vocal melody in that sort of music is a very like big yeah. thing. And there's no chance that he's uh, got an ego that would make him think that. Either. Right. <laughs> no, I'm just yeah. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the phrasing of some of those vocal things is pretty intense on some of them. And actually, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is I know you're a, you're a fan of hip-hop. Yeah, and uh, and I some of the lyrics on this, like the way his his phrasing is, especially yeah. on some of the verses, kind of struck me as slightly hip hop ish. It gets r real Aerosmith, Beastie Boys esque on a couple verses. Yeah, <laughs> if I'm not, gonna, if, they're not my favorite. If I'm not lying, yeah. like, there's, yeah, there's okay. a couple, there's a couple like revisiting today that I didn't care for. And I already knew that I didn't like Quicksand Jesus. Mm -hmm. Oh, dude, that's one of my like, favorite ones. <laughs> I like the music of it. I just literally don't like the title and the lyric Quicksand Jesus. So you mm -hmm. hear it so often. I'm always like, I really at it. And uh, Beggar's Day, I didn't really like. That one just didn't stand out to me, I guess. Yeah. I, I re-listened to it today, and I was like, man, I forgot this was literally like on the album. Well, it was just a bonus. It was a replacement track from the original oh, version. Really? Oh, really? On yeah. the original version of the album, the song that goes in that spot is Get the Fuck Out. Oh, all right. Yeah. Then they needed another tune to clean it up is, for the kids. So, like, if one you letter go... different from an extreme song as right, well. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, if you wanted to go buy Slave to the Grind at Walmart or, like, Kmart or something, you got the version with, with Beggar's Day, and if you bought it at, like, a music store, you got them with Get the Fuck Out on it. Okay. Yeah. The, the only research I did before I came over here was uh, I looked to see what albums Extreme did before this one. 
Oh yeah, they only have two, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, Pornography Two yeah, would have been the same year, isn't it? Or no, the year, year before. before. Year before, okay. But I don't know if that's enough space for like Skid Row to have heard it and had to influence yeah. their album one um, year later. Uh, that's yeah. a good point. But they definitely would have heard the first album. Yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, I just yeah. I don't know. I never picked that up before until today. Like I, there's yeah. little extreme vibes on it in a good way. Yeah, I hadn't put that together either, but you're right. There's a, there's a little bit of like um, some of the songs where they have those bridges that where mm-hmm. they, they modulate to different things and yep. they, they do the bridges and stuff. That's an extreme sort of like and they characteristic. Get, yeah, a little dicey. Throw like they're, yeah. they're riskier. It's not quite as like cookie cutter. Yeah, 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 and and definitely the diversity factor of like you know the music is a lot more diverse on Slave to the Grind than on the first one. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and extreme was just like that was their. That, that was their calling card. Like, we're just diverse as possible. We're playing funk. We're playing, you know, yep. whatever, whatever, you know. Yeah, for sure. They, <laughs> that's partially why Extreme is one of my favorites is because they get so funky all the time. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing I was going to say about this one was uh, the balls on these riffs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right? I mean, they're <laughs> beginning to end on this album. Like, there isn't a song, like, other than the ballad or two. Like, everything else has just got big, big, <laughs> like... I don't know. There's, if you're looking to play a heavy rock song with a lot of energy, mm-hmm. any one of these songs would well, be yeah. cliche. And that's, yeah. things like a lot of the examples other, of that. A lot of the other music of that genre of that time wasn't as riffy. Yeah, yeah. it was. You know, there's like a lot of progressions and a lot mm-hmm. of melody or something like that, but they weren't like those tough riffs. And they would know? blend yeah. together. It wouldn't just be like and then straight into like a. I don't know. I I can't explain where I'm going with that thought very well, but like it. It's not so focused on making it a intricate, elaborate thing. It's like, okay, now this in your face, like attitude shift, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, how did you come across Slave to the Grind? Uh, I've mentioned him before, and I'll mention him again. My buddy Stony. Oh yeah, okay. He got me into all that eighties. Okay. Um, everything that you guys talk about, I wouldn't know without him showing me all them riffs and stuff. And in a darkened room was one of the first things outside of, like, I Remember You and 18 in Life that I, like, clung to by Skid Row that wasn't, like, super-duper obvious, I guess. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I, uh, Skid Row climbed up to one of my favorites right away, and this album, I was just like, holy crap. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fun side fact, many years later on, Dave Sabo filled in an Anthrax for a couple gigs. Really? Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it was Scott Ian and Dave Sabo as a guitar tandem. They talked about it in... You remember that metal show? Uh Uh-huh. Sabo and uh, Scott Ian were guests on there one time. He's like, yeah, I was in the band for a minute. And he was like, it was... Man, when you... Because Scott Ian, I guess, called him and was like, yeah, we need somebody for like three shows in Canada. Can you do it? He's like, I really had to like go back to school, man. I bet. That's some... You know, that's some... That's some next level shit you got to prep for there. Because so. even even Scott himself, when they were talking, he was like, "We always considered a Skid Row. I mean, like, just not really like the same as a lot of the other bands at that time. There was just something different about them, and you could tell. Like, even on the first yeah. record, you could tell that there was something a little bit different compared uh-huh. to, you know, I mean, yeah. they were taken under Bon Jovi's wing and, and introduced to the world essentially by Bon Jovi, but they couldn't sound anything less like that band. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I didn't know even, that by the way. Even at, oh yeah, uh, uh, I I want to say. It's a weird chain of events because, like, somebody who was associated with uh, Bon Jovi. Well, Dave Sna- Dave Sabo was in Bon Jovi at one point for like a minute when okay. when Bon Jovi yeah. was first getting off the ground. Okay, and he left for whatever reason, and they kind of had this. You know, he remembered his buddy Dave and had this band, and like another Bon Jovi friend heard Sebastian Bach singing at a party and was like, you know, our friend's band needs a singer. You should go. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the secret Bon Jovi Skid Row connection. Yeah. yeah oh, and dude. at first, yeah, yeah, when Skid Row first got in the majors, they were on a really punishing contract that where John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora just got like tons of money off the Skid Row first record, and that was undid later on. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like every time you hear a story about record companies, especially in the eighties, oh yeah, it's usually a bad story. <laughs> The suits won. Yeah, <laughs> usually, no. usually. yeah. The suits put bands together and then tore them pa- apart afterwards when they were. So done sometimes with them, when you're so. like, and see, that's one of the things when you you know like when you hear about some of those bands from like the '70s and stuff doing like re-records of their popular songs. Mm-hmm. Usually, the reasoning for that has something to do with like you know the the label that they were signed to back then owns the rights to that, and they're like, we're not giving you a fucking penny for this, so they're like, 
well, I guess if we want to make any money off these songs, we got to re-record them and reissue them uh, on our own, or else, even yeah. or else, yeah. we, that's obvious. Yeah, you know, here. yeah. Prin- so, I mean, Prince it- has famously done that. Uh, yeah. uh, Jeff Lynne from ELO has had to re-record all of his stuff in order to get like. Well, and that's why that whole and- thing with uh, why Taylor Swift is re-recording yep. all of her old albums because oh, yeah. uh, all yeah. of her music, the rights got sold out from under her, basically. And- yeah, someone else owns the master tapes, so she has to make new master tapes. I heard. Yeah. I heard that's like the second time she's had to do that, and she. He's what, like 25? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So then when you Damn. so when you hear about a band re-recording, just, you know, if you're going to be bummed out, be bummed out for the right reason. It's sure. because you know that mm-hmm. they're getting just fucked by some company that they were signed mm-hmm. to in the 80s. <laughs> uh, another band that, like, when, when I was first listening to this, you know, this is, for me, 2005 or six is when I'm listening to Skid Row. Okay. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm cruising, but so you and no one else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you know, this is, definitely wasn't something that I was like waiting for to come yeah. out or anything. And and yeah. and from my perspective, it's already all laid out. All these bands, all their discographies, yeah. they're all done. Or right. So you're viewing right, yeah. all of it like I'm like looking back. back yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so I'm at the same time I'm like listening to like Coheed and uh, yeah. like other <laughs> other bands that are now but are starting to get a little like riffs yeah. and stuff and one band that i cling to a lot that at the time was the darkness they, oh they yeah, had just they had just oh i was very up. much a fan when they came out man. and <laughs> and listening to this album it's got those riffs like if you listen yeah. to the darkness and listen to this like they share a lot of just the simplicity is good and um as long as there's enough distortion and, and everybody's lined up and synced up you can get that yeah big energy feel it's yeah yeah, yeah. Maybe at some point we should do uh, an episode where we talk about like the influence of hair metal on modern bands or something like that. That would be neat. Uh, and there's I, probably I, a really lot more of it than, than is is readily apparent, you know. Right. Yeah. And there's so many people with like you, you know you're already talking about bands with like one foot in and one foot out right. of, <laughs> of of the title of your podcast and then like <laughs> you talk about like newer bands it's like well geez who isn't influenced uh, right. by 80s hair metal if they're shredding in a band right I mean now. like a really <laughs> good idea or another, yeah. you know I don't, I don't know if either of y'all listen to the band Dimu Borgir but they're black metal from Norway and they they did a Twisted Sister cover oh nice and it's oh, wow. awesome <laughs> they, did, they covered Burn in Hell oh nice which yeah. I mean is yeah. just an awesome song anyways yeah and that's another album that's on our short list of uh, ones we want to get to sometime soon. Is, oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I irrationally hated Twisted Sister for a long time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't get what's to hate about it. <laughs> uh, and then I learned more and more about uh, what, D. Schneider. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, and he just seems cooler and cooler, like, the more I, I learn about his history and, you know, having those. But didn't yeah. he have to talk to, like, the government about He went to the, stuff? he, he yeah. was one of the witnesses in the PR, PMRC hearings with yeah, John yeah. Denver and Frank Zappa. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. John Denver was in that group? I didn't I did, know. Yeah, I, I didn't know remember. John Denver was in that group either. Oh, yeah, dude. He's a real that's bad boy. That's all I was respect John Denver because he was on the side of the no, don't. He was very much, yeah. like, anti-censorship. And they, it was sort of one of those things where they were like, are you sure you're on the right side? I guess like, they no, need I'm on a the good right guy, side, though, to make their their opinion matter otherwise it's just that's people true that want to swear and want to that's like having mr rogers testify exactly, you know? exactly. That's <laughs> yes fucking the musical mr rogers was basically like don't censor <laughs> these nice boys <laughs> that's good stuff <laughs> yeah we just watched that new zappa documentary this weekend where zappa Ooh, zappa so testifies and that's, yeah uh, that, it's really good i really want to watch that too yeah yeah, it's not hair metal related whatsoever, but I highly recommend it as as a film. No, if you're interested in music uh, or you know, just it, it's really well done. In my record collection at home, on my shelves, there's one cube in my collection that's all just Zappa. Oh yeah, I have yeah. one cube full of Zappa records. Yeah, I need to open up to Zappa more. I don't know a lot yeah. of Zappa. Uh, Steve Vai, who we talked about on this, played with Zappa. But... So yeah. yeah, there's a, there's a lot of Zappa out there. So it's a it's a long journey, but it's fun. Yeah. There is a lot of Zappa out there. That might there. be a wormhole I, I dive into sooner than later. Probably should. Yeah. yeah, he had like what, like 50 or 60 albums? Like 60 when he was out. 60 alive when he was alive, like and they've released like another 50 some albums of stuff they found and like, you know, Jeez. that he recorded, you know. So it's just, it's endless. That's all he did, though. I mean, and you really get that impression from the documentary movie is like all he was doing all the time is to, to the, you know, leaving behind his family and friends and everything. All he cared about was recording his compositions. That's all he cared about. The amount about. of albums sounds like it. Right, yeah. 
He was very, very focused. Even if it was all like, even if it was all garbage, it the last show we saw before the last show we saw before the apocalypse was uh, mm-hmm. was uh, Dweezil Zappa. Yep, and with the band, they performed Hot Rats in its entirety. Yep. which was fucking awesome. It was fucking. And they awesome. played a bunch of songs <laughs> off Sheik Your Booty, which was crazy. They played yeah. Broken Hearts for Assholes. Yeah, and I just I'd always wanted to hear hear, hear that song played live, so I was very happy. <laughs> Yeah, if you're going to have to have a last show before a pandemic, I feel proud of that one. Hell yes, man. <laughs> I don't know what mine would have been. can't remember now. Had to be local. Yeah. I've seen something local before something big last, I think. Yeah. Oh, I was supposed to see Rage. Oh, really? But that's postponed. I was yeah. supposed to go see Shellac on, on March 16th. Yeah, and I was sitting in a bar with Brian and Rachel. Yeah. and Emily. When I got the email that said this show has been postponed, I'm like, yeah, I yeah, right, not surprised yeah. by that. And then the month after that, I was supposed to see Napalm Death with Brian. Yep, yep. And that got not even postponed. They were just like, nope, not even, not, not, it's not even happening now. <laughs> have, yeah, have you probably covered this uh, in the episode? But have either of you guys seen Skid Row? Yeah. Yes, yep. we saw like, it together. I feel like you yep. told me at least once. Brian and I went to Jefferson to the Wild That's Rose right. Casino, That's and we right. saw Skid Row at Queensryche <laughs> at a casino. Yeah, killer show. It okay. was a killer show. Okay. Yeah, we had low expectations. Like, well, hey, let's just go see. Well, these we knew it was Skid Row and... with the you know the new singer and, and Queensryche with the new singer. And, well, I knew the I liked the Queensryche yeah. new singer already. That one yeah. I was I was okay with that, but I was like, yeah. the Skid Row man, it's either going to be like okay, or I'm just going to be bored yeah. through it. And I was pleasantly surprised all the way through. Like, yep. When I talk to uh, OG hair metal fans, uh, you know, I, I trust their opinion of who's better live or not versus somebody my age or, or younger, you know? Like, yeah, sure, that makes uh, sense. <laughs> and one I always hear people say has always remained good live to see is Firehouse. Really? They always say that Firehouse Live is, is uh, super great. Wow. I've never seen and, them, and, no, and they either. also are like you know so much smaller than like Skid Row or or Motley Crue or something. Yeah. So like you could see them at like a Boon Bar or something someday. Like <laughs> right. I, I'm pretty sure they played at a Boon Bar while I lived in Ames in the last ten years. But, um, <laughs> I kind of wish I would have known. That, I think huh? I think that happened, but I was just young enough to not like be jumping up and down about it and. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I, I've heard lots of praise if you ever see. I mean, I like the Kiss song Firehouse. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that. Song. I don't know a lot of Kiss. Oh, it's a good tune. Kiss yeah. is another band I've always irrationally hated. But... I'm so so on them. Yeah, yeah. I, Harder than hell. Uh, I'll play that shit any day. That album yeah. fucking rips. Yeah. But like, Kiss was the first band uh, I ever really liked. But you know, I was in fourth grade and I, and I didn't know anything about music. And and Kiss looked like they were co- they were comic book characters. And basically, all the metal you bands know? that I love all love Kiss. It's yeah. just yeah. it's just one of those things. Like if you know if. If you're a fan of metal, then the bands that you like, there's a good chance yeah. they either like Kiss or they like a band that liked Kiss. And a, <laughs> a and a tie-in to Skid Row is uh, Kiss are partially responsible for Skid Row breaking yeah. up. Uh, yeah, because so, they were gonna yeah. they like Sebastian had agreed to do some like yeah, he shows said, opening for Kiss, and they were like, "We're too big to be opening for Kiss," and he's like, "Nobody's too big to open." For Kiss. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, Sebastian Bach was all about opening for Kiss on their farewell tour. The funny thing is, about four years later, after Sebastian Bach left, I was gonna go see Kiss yeah. at Hilton and Skid Row as the opening band. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a weird karmic thing there. It's like, oh really? Oh really? You're too big to open for him, huh? Well, we were too big to open for him. Ninety <laughs> six. Bands from the 80s didn't yep. have platinum records in 96, you see. That's a thing. Right. I hate to say it. It sucks. Yeah. But, you know, that's how it was because, well, it turns out tastes change in time, and that's just how it works. <laughs> Same reason that the Ramones didn't really, well, I don't know. Their first album only just went gold within the last decade or some bullshit like that. But Oh, really? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> so I heard this isn't very hair metal related. But it's an interesting nugget I heard on a podcast the other day. Okay. All right. Uh, Ice T was a guest, and he was talking about when uh, Metallica was writing Enter Sandman. Uh huh. And they were digging for some really angry energy, some really uh, aggressive, sinister vibes, you know, for this hard rock song that they wanted. And they had Ice T's first album as kind of an attitude. Yeah. Like a. Something they were reaching for, they wanted that big, like angry, like and uh, the riff on the Ice T song that they, they were referencing was uh, "Heart." <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> so Ice T sampled "Heart." 
mm-hmm. who inspired Metallica to write Enter Sandman. Wow, so, that's fantastic. Kind of reaching for this, some interesting this podcast, connection, but yeah. it, it was just sitting in my head, and I was like, I wonder if they would care. Yes. Hear this. <laughs> We've had some pretty diverse topic. Yeah, we, we we talk about anything on this podcast, so it's it's, it's perfectly I, fine. I, I I do like iced tea. Yeah. In the the whole time, I thought I was going to be getting educated on some how hip hop began and stuff, and he was just talking classic rock the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> but he, you know, he's of the time. He knows his rock. Yeah. Yes, he does. Oh. He knew way more than I did. I know that. He was talking about in, every individual member of like Sabbath and, and oh, wow. what, you know, okay. like he knows he knows his stuff. That's cool. I was impressed. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh thanks for being on, man. Yeah. Hell yeah, thanks dude. Cool. <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. Yeah, again anyway. We'll we'll see like if we can, maybe maybe we'll get you on like the next uh season or something like that again. That'd be cool. <laughs> I'll be listening whether I'm I'm on or not. I really like the show. So. Hey, we appreciate cool. it, man. Cool. <laughs> Thanks a lot. And and thank you guys for tuning in. Very much appreciate it. And uh we'll catch you next time on Hair Metal Memories. Hair Metal Memories.